Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday the 7th of October. Tom Tilly with you and very excited to say that the co-host of a brand new ABC TV series, Question Everything, Jeanette Francis is here again, back on The Briefing. Hey, Jan. Hey, mate. I haven't heard somebody use my full name in a really long time. <laughs> Am I in trouble? You've been your brand, Jan Fran, for so long now, haven't you? You've forgotten who you really are. So famous. I have. I've also forgotten how to wake up at four in the morning, <laughs> which I had to do this morning. And let me tell you, it was difficult. Well, you But I'm very happy good. to be back. Well, you sound pretty good. How did the show go? It was a really fun show. I watched it. A lot of lot of good lols, and you got to be funny and the voice of authority, which I loved. I know it's a great Venn diagram to be in the middle of, isn't it? It was it was so much fun making it. The team is great. Working with Will is great. The comedians are so funny. We had a, a ball every night. Mm. But I will say, if I had the choice to make a show from start to finish in the middle of a lockdown, or make a show not in the middle of a mm. lockdown. I reckon I choose to do one not in the middle of a lockdown. There's lots of things I'd rather do out of a lockdown than in a lockdown. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there were definitely some challenges that that the lockdown presented, but it was it was such a great opportunity and just a whole lot of fun, really. So I'm just I'm on the blower to Ida Butros, telling mm. us telling her to give us a second season. Come on, Ida, do it. Well, yeah, I mean, people listening right now to this podcast could do the same. Write Ida Butros a letter, and so we want more <laughs> of Jan on the TV. We love Question Everything Series One. Give us another one. Get your writing pads out, people. All right, in today's uh, briefing, uh, we're going to speak to a really interesting Aussie actor. You're going to see him in the upcoming Avatar 2. He's also been in Game of Thrones, and he's also written a great book on Aussie masculinity. His name is Brendan Cow. This book suggests that perhaps just getting over yourself, standing still, pausing and saying, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. I'm a bit f***ed. I'm scared. Vulnerability. I'm unwell. Shit, man. Can I... Can someone... Please, can I chat about that? Yeah. And that's all you got to do. Brendan Cow there, Aussie actor, top bloke and a writer, are going deep in the second half of this episode. First, here are today's headlines. Well, the state of New South Wales, what good news. It's hit 70% double vax target yesterday afternoon. It is the first state to get there. Um, the new Premier, Dominic Perrottet, confirmed it last night. He said that the state was one step closer to having a quote-unquote proper summer, which I know I speak for all of the people in New South Wales when I say we cannot wait to do that. Yeah, it's amazing news. So New South Wales will start to open from Monday. The new uh, treasurer turned premier has made some small moves already. He's renamed the COVID crisis cabinet to the Economic Recovery Committee, um, and he'll hear regular advice from the New South Wales chief economist. Presumably, Jan, he'll still get advice from the chief health officer. Well, you'd you'd like to hope so. I mean, reportedly, he has a good relationship with Kerry Chant um, and with Brad Hazard, who is the health minister in New South Wales as well. But, you know, Dom Perrottet has been a very strong advocate for businesses and for reopening from the beginning, and that's where he diverged from Gladys Berejiklian a little mm. bit. You know, he's the treasurer. Mm. This time last week, he was the treasurer, not the premier. So he, he was the one counting pennies and, and fretting over New South Wales's economy. So I hope he'll, he'll toe the line between being a politician and, and listening to the health advice. And Australia's banking regulator has made its first moves to cool down the housing market. We have asked banks to make sure that when they are lending at those sorts of levels, that there's sufficient prudence 
in their credit assessments. Australian Prudential Regulation Authority Chairman Wayne Byers speaking to the ABC. So from November, APRA will make the banks increase the interest rate buffer on new loans from 2.5% to 3%. Tom, you're probably better at explaining (laughs) this than I am. Go for it. Yeah, well, basically what it means is when you're going to get a loan, um, they test that your income will still cover the repayments even when interest rates now go up by 3%. They were testing people at 2.5%. So in effect, it's essentially like putting interest rate up by half a percent. And this will basically have the impact on people's borrowing capacity of around 5%, they say. So if you were going to borrow um, your maximum and your maximum was a million dollars, you'd now only be able to borrow $950,000. So when people are going out bidding for properties, they'll have a little bit less to work with. Yeah, I reckon they've looked around and they've gone, holy moly, Mm. I cannot believe house prices have risen at their fastest rate in more than 17 years. Yeah, And that's, you know, we've had historically low interest rates that have been you know, really driving that market. It's very hot across Australia. And I think, you know, obviously trying to cool it down in some way, shape or form. Yeah, but this is a really small move. This this will have very minimal impact, I think. So, because uh, actually a lot of people don't borrow to their max already anyway. Mm. Um, so this was a, a small move and there could be further moves to come. So keep watching this space, but I think people are still going to be um, out there bidding pretty hard. That FOMO is real, Jan. And the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, is refusing to comment on whether he is being questioned by the state's anti-corruption commission, IBAC. If you want to know what IBAC's doing and who they're doing it with, then you need to speak to IBAC. He wanted me to offer you comments that I'm simply not going to offer you. So this came from a report in the Nine newspapers, so The Age in Victoria, where they revealed Victoria's... uh, So in New South Wales, it's the Independent Commission Against Corruption. In Victoria, it's the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission. Um, so the papers. Oh, that's a long name. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. So the age revealed that IBAC is investigating the Premier's dealings with the Firefighters Union. Yeah, they've been um, investigating the United Firefighters Union's role in mergers between Victoria's fire services since 2019. This is, though, the first time that the Premier has been linked to the probe. Um, so they're looking into whether the government had any dealings with union leaders, what those dealings were and whether they were transparent. Um, the Victorian opposition leader, I think he's, he's seizing on an opportunity here, seeing what happened in New South Wales with the Premier resigning mm. over an ICAC investigation. He, Matthew Guy, uh, he's called on Dan Andrews to resign. He's spent his career telling everyone else to stand down who's under investigation by a corruption commission. Now he's under investigation. Well, of course he should stand down. Yeah, so one of the key differences between um, Victoria and New South Wales is is the transparency here. So Dan Andrews, um, as you heard there, didn't want to comment on the investigation. IBAC itself also said that as a matter of practice, it does not comment on whether it has a complaint or investigation before it. Very different to New South Wales, which um, at least in the case of Gladys Berejiklian is a very open and uh, and public process. Yeah, they put out a statement saying exactly what they wanted to, yep. to, to look into and um, that will start in just over a week now. And more former Matildas stars have come forward with allegations of a toxic culture of harassment after Football Australia said that it was setting up a body to investigate the claims. We want our players to feel safe, um, to feel comfortable with coming forward and talking about um, their issues. And if they need to be investigated then, they will be investigated, but they'll be investigated by an independent party. 
That was Football Australia CEO James Johnson. Uh, this comes after former striker Lisa Devana told News Corp she'd been sexually harassed by fellow players while playing for the young Matildas. That's right. And now a fellow former teammate uh, is also raising the alarm as well about a toxic culture in the sport. Um, Renee Isseriev has told News Corp that toxic behaviour had been swept under the rug by soccer's governing body and that there were still, quote-unquote, predators in the sport. Um, it looks like sport in Australia is um, mm. is having a, a reckoning as well. I mean, this was uh, we've heard similar stories or allegations come out in, in swimming too, mm. and now we're hearing them in women's football. Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg has refuted claims his company puts profits ahead of people, says that's just untrue. Um, Zuckerberg made the comments in a blog post on Facebook after former Facebook product manager Francis Haugen fronted a US Senate inquiry into big tech. I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children stoke division and weaken our democracy. Yeah, this was a big revelation um, from Haugen. She told senators that Facebook basically had the ability, if it wanted to, to make Instagram and other platforms safer for kids and young people, and that they just decided not to. Um, Now, following her testimony, US lawmakers said that Facebook could be facing a regulatory crackdown in what they said was a big tobacco moment. It's not looking good for Facebook. Yeah, but we've heard this before, you know, someone will go into Congress and say how bad Facebook is and, you know, the various politicians in America will say how they're cracking down on Facebook and here we are again doing the same thing. People just rely on it too much. Mm. That's that's the truth. People rely on it not just as a, you know, a way of connecting with people, but to build profiles, to build businesses. Facebook hasn't had a great week. They had the outage mm. earlier this week where it went down for six hours and you suddenly realise if, if you're an influencer on Instagram and your entire business is tied to this one platform mm. and it goes down for six hours, that's your entire livelihood. It's you know? too big to fail, isn't it? Well, it, it's it's too big. It's <laughs> that, that bit's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that bit's for sure. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, maybe Haugen isn't – she's certainly not the first and I, I doubt she'll be the last either. All right, Jan, great to have you back on the podcast. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Uh, Antoinette Latouf is joining us for our interview with Brendan Cowell. So this is the soundtrack from a TV show. It's from 20 years ago called Love My Way. Antoinette Latouf is here on The Briefing. Do you remember that show? Yeah, look, I, I do recall that it was just like a snapshot of gritty inner city life in, in the late mm. 90s. But, you know, it explored relationships and, you know, managing anger and hopes and dreams. But it also examined like what it meant to be an Aussie man and what it meant to be an Aussie woman. And a lot of those conversations we're still trying to navigate today. Yeah, pretty age old stuff. A coming of age kind of inner city drama, really. Lots of share house kind of scenes. It brought um, one actor to prominence, actually a lot of great actors Mm. who went on to do amazing things. One of them was Brendan Cowell. And since then, he's done all kinds of stuff, acted in plays, he's written his own plays, worked in TV. Never a huge celebrity, but more of a hardworking kind of actor and writer. So, and, and things shifted about five years ago. He packed up his life in Sydney and moved to London, You know, never really interested in Hollywood and LA. But then he gets cast in Game of Thrones and now he's yeah. just been filming Avatar 2 with director James Cameron and that's you know been 12 years in the making. We've been waiting for the next installation. 
So there's so much to talk about and unpack about his career, but he's also just released a second novel. Brennan, thanks for joining us. Let's start with your new book, Plum. It's about a rugby league player called Pete Lum. He's from Cronulla in Sydney. And I guess the book sort of plays in some of your favourite spaces, which is masculinity and suburbia. So tell us about this character. Who is he? Why did you create him? And what did you want to say with him and his story? Yeah, Peter the Plum Lum, he's kind of, um, you know, a lovable brute. He's a 49-year-old ex-rugby league player who has only ever lived life in one way, which is, you know, according to his father's mantra, never take a backward step. Um, And he played for New South Wales and Australia and, now he kind of gets up, goes to work at the airport where he, you know, he didn't go into the commentary box or the media. He, um, He's an anonymous kind of guy. He likes to be on his own. He drags planes out onto the tarmac and one day he has an epileptic fit, which leads to a discovery. He has a degenerative brain injury from the way he played the game, from the head nods. And that if he doesn't change his lifestyle, which is drinking four to 14 schooners a day and smoking and the rest with his posse of men called the Coxless Four, um, at the part at Casbah every afternoon, then um, it could be dementia or death. He's got a 16-year-old son who's following in his footsteps. He's got a girlfriend that he loves very much, an ex-wife, and a lot of people that care about him, but um, the only person that doesn't care about him is himself. And so he goes on a kind of little process of self-discovery, which with his brain busted wide open includes the, you know, a bunch of misfits coming into his life, but also some poets that may or may not be alive. I just want to refer to one quote in terms of its summary of of your book and your character, Plum. Um, So Plum examines the bruise on a nation obsessed with masculinity. And, you know, toxic masculinity is a word that's used a lot and not everybody likes it. And even, you know, here in the Mm. studio, Tom and I have different opinions on what it means. How would you describe toxic masculinity? I think toxic masculinity is when you get caught in patterns that don't allow you to grow. And Plum is incredibly toxic. In this book, he's riddled with booze and and the rest, but also he just can't get out of this pattern to share. Um, and so out of that comes violence, you know, towards himself and, and the world. And I think that's kind of what I'm discussing in this book and also in, in terms of Australian toxic masculinity, you know, where I grew up, the, you were either the sensitive poet boy with a scarf on who got bullied or you were the mm-hmm. dumb brute. And I guess my book poses the notion of maybe it's okay to be both and maybe deep down we all are sensitive poets and brutes as well and and that goes for artists as well a life lived as an artist you got to be brave you got to be bold and you got to get up off the canvas that's exactly the same as being a boxer so i kind of put this notion of the two aussie males up into the air and say what about if this is one person because you've been riffing in this space for a while are you do you feel like your understanding's changed? And I, I guess what's at the core of this often is about how to how to marry those two parts of masculinity or there's, there's many parts of masculinity, but how to find a balance because if, you, if you're too brutish and you, you can't even accept your own vulnerabilities and grow from them or you don't treat other people with respect, then you're not going to live a, a fulfilling life and have a good impact on the people around you. I think you're right, Tom. I've always talked about the rage within men and the confusion. And I think inherently boys are sweet, you know, especially when they're young, they're so affectionate to their parents and and they just want to show their dad what they look, dad, I, I built this, I'm throw, I threw the stick over there, watch this. And, mm. you know, we're such sweet human beings. 
but then from an emotional stress or an emotional limitation comes odd and harmful behaviour that's not spiteful, it's not malicious, it's just from a place of confusion. And that's because there's almost a kind of rugged individualism that happens with men where we feel like we have to bash our way through the wall on our own. And this book um, suggests that perhaps just getting over yourself, standing still, pausing and saying, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. Mm. I'm a bit (laughs) I'm scared. Vulnerability. I'm unwell. Uh, Shit, man. Can I, can someone, (laughs) please, can I chat about that? You know, and that's all you got to do. And that's what Peter Lum may or may not learn is that there is no great skill to it. To connect with your girlfriend, there is no amazing sentence you have to say. You just have to take the bloody wall down, reach out. And in that way, it's about admitting you're embarrassed and it's about being a bit of a kid again. People love it when a strong man enters a room and he's just fixed something and he's in his shorts and women and boys come alive. You know, it's great to have strong men in the room, but also who can be present, you know, get down on one knee and listen to them. And listen. Uh, Listen's yeah. the key word. That's what, that's what I reckon us yeah. blokes struggle. We, we like to be in control, so we struggle to step back and let the other people take the space sometimes, I think. That's an alpha male quality i found is that need to, you know, I said it to a guy yesterday who's always been convincing me of how to live life, and I said maybe the fact that that didn't work out for you, you could um, now try curiosity. And he looked, I thought he was going to hit me. But I think that's what the modern man can do. You don't have to be the expert on stuff. You don't have to know. You can just be curious. And, mm. you know, curiosity is still powerful. Mm. And look, and from, from a woman's perspective, I think a strong man walking into a room is you know, still impactful and still important, but it's what also a strong man does when a strong woman walks into the room Mm. and what a strong man does when he needs to feel vulnerable. So Mm. I don't think it's about demolishing that rawness. Mm. It's about allowing other things to exist in that space and also knowing that we, you may not be able to fix everything. That's okay. And you may not know everything and that's okay. And you may hurt and you may hurt and that's okay. And so, yeah. and I don't think it's about, you know, metrosexualizing every man mm. um, because that's not for everybody. At different times, you've had to work really hard to almost reinvent yourself and find new ways to create and make a living in this space. And then five years ago, you, you moved to London and now we're seeing you turn up in Game of Thrones and Avatar 2. What's going on with Brendan Cowell these days? Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I thought, you know, after Sydney Film Festival with Ruben Guthrie, I thought, you know, I was just having a party at my house and I thought, you know what, like I could just sit here and be popular and be cool and keep making stuff or I could just throw it all to the wind and see what happened if I went to London um, and I can always come back with my tail between my legs. So I went over there to become successful as a writer and I didn't stop acting on stage in Yerma. I played Galileo. I had so much luck in London, I ended up in New Zealand, um, which was, you know, like, hang on, I got successful in London, now I'm over across the ditch. and With but, James Cameron. Yeah, yeah so what, what can you tell us about Avatar 2 that you're starring in? It's been 12 years um, since the blockbuster was released. What can you tell us about your role? Pretty much only, you know, kind of what's out there, as you guys would expect, knowing from being in the media, but I play Captain Mick Scoresby who has a boat called the Matador and he's out there making money really. And um, I'm human. 
I'm not a blue person and I'm not very nice to the blue people. Um, that's about all I can say. We shot it in Wellington. I got my mind blown by working with probably the best filmmaker alive and I got to see why. Sounds awesome. So I guess this closing question kind of comes back to the whole start of this interview in a way that it seems like these big directors love Aussies, as you mentioned, that, you know, you're, you're sort of now moving into a sort of direction that Ben Mendelsohn's gone down and this international audience seems to be interested in these more blokey kind of Aussie actors. What's happening there? Do you think there is a real appetite for the rawness of the Aussie male in, in that context? I think there's just a gut-to-gut way of acting and a lot of, you know, the British directors and producers over there said, you know, when I watch you act, it's like it's really happening. And it's like, you know, because there's no, we don't produce our performances. We kind of just do it. And that's what London could give me was a life, uh, not a dream. But a lot of people over there were like, the casting director's like, please stay. There's there's no men here. They're all kind of, oh, sorry, I, I spilled my coffee on you, darling. I, you know, they wanted a bloke that looked like he could throw something on the back of a ute, but also read a book, you know. And so I think in London, there was definitely a gap for me to be, you know, manly, I guess. The rest is a mystery. And and <laughs> I just try to enjoy the experience, you know, like I worked with James Cameron the last two years. I've got a bit more to do with him. That's the blessing. Well, that's awesome. Whatever happens <laughs> so, after that, who cares, you know. <laughs> great talking to you, Brendan. Thanks for joining us. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. So that was Brendan Cow. Um, you can put his book Plum in someone's Christmas stocking or your own. He's done a lot of thinking on masculinity. I, I found that really interesting. What I find particularly interesting is how much it resonated with you, Tom, and how much I feel, yeah. you know, there are things about the Aussie man that you embrace and are, but how you feel you probably straddle a few different yeah. identities. And that- I've, I've done the country kid footy, but also live that sort of, you know, whatever you call it, sort of urbane inner city life, you know, just one suburb away from Brendan, actually. I've actually been to his place for a kick on once after a play, like walking those two worlds and I guess the, the double-edged sword of masculinity and embracing the raw stuff, but not at the expense of, you know, vulnerability or intelligence. And asking for help and being okay and comfortable around strong women. And I think that's mm. where we find a good equilibrium, where we can celebrate all the wonderful things about being a man and being Australian and that we can also celebrate that about women and they can they can coexist and people can be comfortable and vulnerable and support one another. So, yeah, he's just continues to do amazing work in, in this space and get people thinking. And tomorrow on The Briefing, Facebook's Week From Hell. Listener.